all you people talk about is marijuana, marijuana, marijuana. I was like, oh my goodness, like we have to have a conversation about this. Real healthcare is a matter of perception. To me, is it real healthcare to me? On a personal level, it is because I don't suffer pain anymore and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm never high. This is Tectonics, the podcast focused on the people and passion at the intersection of technology and health. According to Pamela Hadfield, co-founder of HelloMD, cannabis is actually one of the single biggest healthcare disruptors out there. It is not only becoming serious business, it's being taken seriously as a viable form of medicine in many quarters, even though it is also still marginalized and subject to stigma in some instances. This is Tectonics. I'm David Shaywitz. And I'm Lisa Soonan. And today's episode is brought to you by AARP Market Innovation, which works to spark innovation in the market that will benefit the quality of life for people over 50. All right. So, Lisa, it sounds like there's been some really terrific progress on C-Sweetener. Do you want to uh, give us an update? Yeah, C-Sweetener is going really well, and we're just about to commercially tell people, launch. Tell people, tell the good people out there what it C-Sweetener is. C-Sweetener is a program. It's a, it's a software uh, and service program. Um, you can find it at csweetener.org, a not-for-profit that I founded with Lisa Serwin, because uh, I only like to work with people named Lisa whenever possible, uh, that matches women who are uh, in the C-Suite or ascending to the C-Suite with mentors who've been in similar positions uh, in healthcare. So either from the CEO, you know, business track or from the science and clinical track. And, you know, we really felt that there was a gap in the opportunity to find mentors, to efficiently match to the right people, to engage with them conveniently, despite geography and all of that. And so we built um, a really a company that's going to provide that service, and we're just in the process of launching it. Really exciting. Yeah, it's, it's got a huge amount of traction in a really short time. Yeah, we've got several hundred folks signed up for it already, and off we go. That's it's, it's really a great, great Thank thing. Thank you. Very excited. Csweetener.org. Pamela Hadfield has, by many measures, had a traditional path through the tech world. She and her Hello MD co-founder, husband Mark Hadfield, have been part of numerous tech successes and started this company as a continuation of that effort. But along the way, they realized the real opportunity was not telemedicine per se, but the legitimization of medical marijuana. A controversial topic to be sure, but one we're not afraid to tackle here on Tectonics. You worked at All American Burger. Seven months ago. Uh, I knew it. Why don't you get a job, Spicoli? What for? You need money. All I need are some tasty waves, cool buzz, and I'm fine. All right, Pamela. So let's just put the elephant on the table right yeah, here. Let's put it out. Some people <laughs> hear about medical marijuana and see Spicoli or Towley and giggle, yeah. and that's going to be Dave in about 10 mm-hmm. seconds. Others have found it to be life-changing, even life-saving medicine. How do you deal with this binary construct between recreational and medical usage, and how do you respond to those that suggest you're just packaging recreational drugs in a way to make them more acceptable. And don't look at me when you say that, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, That's a lot that you just asked and put on the table there. So let's try to deconstruct it. It's a very, very big elephant. So let's try to um, maybe deconstruct that a little bit. Um, I think it's a a matter of education, really. Um, I came to this industry with my own prejudices and stigmas. And Jeff Spicoli, that reference, I've heard it over and over and over. And I think it's going to be there for quite some time. Um, It's part of our popular culture. Um, Even if Lisa has only recently seen the movie. (laughs) Is that so? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do think that it is a matter of education. And I think that... 
uh, when you talk about recreational uh, cannabis versus medical cannabis, you're talking about two far ends of the spectrum. So some people might use cannabis recreationally or what we call adult use because they want to relax um, or they just, you know, some people do want to just get stoned. Um, but then there's the other far end of the spectrum where people are very, very seriously ill. But when I think about those two far ends of the spectrum, I think of them as sort of the far ends of the bell curve because there's this whole sort of shape of the bell that's in the middle that's really about wellness and where people are coming to cannabis because it might help them with anxiety, might help them with chronic pain, depression. Um, there's a whole different, there's a whole slew of reasons why people find cannabis. Okay, so can you tell us about the business, uh, you know, how big it is, what the mm -hmm. services are, etc.? Sure. So, um, so we see cannabis as a global trend. Um, people are coming to, to cannabis for all the reasons that I mentioned and, and other reasons. And so when we were looking at the business that we had, we thought, well, why don't we shift into cannabis? Because we feel that it's an underserved marketplace. Shift from what? I'm sorry. So we, we formerly had a telehealth business um, that was in a more traditional me medical health care system. Um, so we were connecting patients to doctors who were the, the best of the best, like the best cardiologist, the right. best neurosurgeon. But we realized that there was a real um, lack in the marketplace with cannabis. And we thought, well, this is a cash-based business. <laughs> and why don't we, why don't we switch but to serving people? But you discovered it while... This is actually, I hadn't appreciated it. So while you were doing the traditional the health, traditional health, was it that people were asking for information about this? Well, or? The, the genesis of it was my own health crisis, which was that I had suffered from migraines, terrible, terrible migraines for about 20 to 25 years. Um, and I was at the end of my rope. I was using narcotics all the time to manage the pain. Um, I was using more traditional migraine medic medications, but I was in bed many, many days a month. And that wasn't changing. And so somebody suggested cannabis, and this was at the time that we were starting this other startup, and it worked for me. And I have not had a migraine for two years. But there was an aha moment associated with that, right? Oh, yeah. There was an aha moment. Um, I mean, the aha moment being that that we just realized that, um, well, the aha moment uh, with my girlfriends, I think, yeah. is what you're talking about. So Lisa and I have talked about this before. So I found that cannabis was helping me with my migraines. And I was out to dinner with my girlfriends, and they're both entrepreneurs. And I was saying, you know, I'm having a little bit of a hard time with this business that we're in. And they were saying, what about cannabis? Why don't you help people just like yourself who need education and help finding the right doctors and the right information. And that was the aha moment. And so we pivoted the business. And I would say that it was, you know, probably the, the first or second day of launching that we sold our first consultations. Wow. So my understanding is that there's um, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of users, a lot of users of medical marijuana out there, upwards of two and a half million even, some by some estimates. Um, how much of the use is based on, where is the clinical evidence um, sort of supporting that use, or where, where does the evidence base stand for um, uh, medical marijuana, particularly for pain? Mm -hmm. it's, well, it's an interesting question. So if you're looking for clinical trials and clinical evidence that's within the United States, it's going to be very hard to find because it, 
we've had every roadblock put in front of us for actually conducting clinical trials within oh. the United States. So that's not something that researchers have... Certainly not the willingness of patients, I imagine. <laughs> no, not the willingness of pati- patients, nor the willingness of the researchers and the people who actually want to conduct the clinical trials. It's been roadblo- roadblocks by the federal government. Right. So when you look at clinical because trials... Because it's a class one drug. It's because it's a schedule one drug. So there's there's a lot to this elephant, as right. you said. Um So essentially, when you're looking towards clinical trial evidence, you have to look to Israel, to Canada, to all the different countries that actually are doing this research. So there is research that's out there, but really what we want to start happening is that is that research here in the United States. But aren't there issues with the, at least until recently, I mean, my understanding is that now as sort of um, it's become more professionalized, mm-hmm. sort of the, 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 the quality control and, and, and what you're actually getting is, is become far more sort of standardized um, than uh, than I guess than I guess it used to be is 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 that something that you've seen or is is that just a perception? Um, I think it depends on it's state by state, and it also depends on. Um, so, for instance, within California, California has been a less regulated market. So now, with the the new laws that are going into effect in two thousand and eighteen that have passed, we're going to see a much more regulated market. And this is a and this is a for those listening outside of California. This is a new proposition that just was approved in November. Correct, Prop sixty four. So with with Prop sixty four within California, you have new regulations that are going into place. Now, exactly how those regulations will will pan out, we're not sure, but you'll have child protection. You'll have um, different marketing around uh, the cannabis that will be allowed or disallowed. And in addition, you're going to have much more regulated control around pesticides and um, uh, chemicals and stuff. Okay. But if I'm going to take, let's say, some atorvastatin, you know, you know, a statin, it's like, okay, I'm going to take 25 milligrams, you know, POQD, and, and, and it's incredibly clear what I'm going to be getting. Mm-hmm. And, and that's been sort of pretty well studied. Mm-hmm. Is there the same confidence around um, cannabis? In my mind, no. And so that's why you have to be incredibly cautious about where you buy your cannabis, both from the distributor, but also who's, who's the manufacturer, you know. Um, I always caution people to be very um, concerned about that. And with the the coming regulations and changes, I hope it will continue to move down that path. Do you think there's going to be, you know, a movement to create, you know, like wine or like drugs provenance and dosing and quality control? Do you think we're going to see grading of these products? We're seeing like that? that now. And I think that to me, that's a, a, a big thing that I'm a pr- proponent of is dosing, accuracy, mm-hmm. um, regulation of just the, the general level of safety. And that's part of the, the thing about the legalization movement is that we have to make sure that patient safety is a big part of that picture. And a lot of times people think, well, cannabis, it's, it's organic or it's a plant. And so therefore, it's always going to be safe. And that's not necessarily the case. So, you know, it's really interesting because I think at a time when we're in medicine generally mm-hmm. talking about empowering patients mm-hmm. and engaging their feedback and treatment, you know, and we're hearing a lot of patients, I think, say that this might be helpful to them or mm-hmm. is helpful to them. Are doctors listening? And, and, and by doctors, I mean not the tie-dye guys with the beaded yeah. curtains, but like the real the real doctors, the Harvard guys, the whatever, mm-hmm. the Stanford guys, are they are they buying into this plan? I think it depends on where you're talking about. State by state, it, it changes. Um, I think California doctors are much more um, open to the idea. But overall, I think because of the lack of the clinical trials and the research, doctors are very much based their opinions on that sort of um, data. And so that data is missing. So that is a piece of the pie 
that seems to be missing, at least in my mind, and that w- what we tr- pr- try to provide for patients at HealthMD is quality medical advice. Because what you do find in the marketplace is exactly what you're talking about, the tie-dyed you right. know, sort of um, stereotype of what you think you might find. But Dr. that Groovy. But that is changing, and there are there – are, um, there are different certification programs out there for doctors to be going to, and we do see more and more an influx of doctors actually finding us and asking how they can connect with patients. So how do you qualify the doctors to participate in your program? So we qualify the doctors. Obviously, they have to have a medical license. Um, <laughs> That's a good start. And in, and in California, you can actually be – you can be an osteopath. Someone involved um, in the process should have yeah. a license, right? <laughs> yeah, we do, back, we do you know, standard sort of background checks. But then we also – they do have to have a um, certification Uh, a medical cannabis certification um, that we ask that they go through. And And the stigma thing is so interesting, right? Yes. Because I know, and like, for instance, I know you guys won a major startup competition recently Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a really high profile one. You should tell the audience about that and got some real blowback from the producers. So to speak. Yeah, so to speak. Yeah, so... um, (laughs) We did. David can't help himself. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, you know that at the um, uh, the Department of Biomedical Informatics uh, conference, um, this precision, whatever, like Rogue Therapeutic Conference last year in Boston, a <laughs> uh, quarter of uh, one-fourth of the whole uh, day was actually four different uh, talks for, uh, all about the industry. So yeah, I'm sure. So it's a huge emerging topic. Yeah. So um, so we did win the um, uh, this uh, competition, and what was interesting was that at the end of it um, – Tell, tell, tell this whole story, though, because it's great. I mean, the whole flying in the jet and, you know. Yeah, so so I won a competition to go to a, um, a conference uh, up in Canada. And they had all these fancy VCs and folks, and you got to fly in the private jet yeah, up there. Yeah, so, so I won a, a seat on the private jet. And then um, we actually won the competition. And there were 300 different startups there. We were the only cannabis startup. Um, and at the end of it, uh, the interesting part was we, it, it was a great feather in our cap, but the sponsor actually was very upset that we had won. Hmm. Um, and so it was just one of those situations where, um, you know, we won, so they weren't going to take it away from us, but it's part of the, the whole um, notion of stigma in this industry. And I think that over time, I see that in the next two, five, ten years, that there will be a general reduction of that because what you're finding is, you know, you just saw that Brazil went medically legal. Germany just passed a medical legalization bill. There are 28 states in the in the United States. So people's exposure to cannabis is just going to get to it, it will be bigger and bigger. But so your company isn't like it's not like you you sort of distribute it. No. You guys, you guys, you guys are consultants. So in in a sense, in some perverse way, do you sort of benefit from the complete opacity of like information in the market? The fact that there's that the that the regulations are are, are vary so much by I state see. that the data you know that there's like a lot of murkiness. murkiness. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and so. Um, I would say that in some ways that does benefit our business because we can help provide clarity. On the other side, because you have a, a system where it's state by state, the laws, the the regulations, and everything changes, and also from nation to nation, you know, the way Canada deals with cannabis is very different than how we deal with cannabis in California, for instance. Um, so, but to answer your question, yes, we consider ourselves a, a place where patients can come, they can ask questions, they'll get responses. From 
from the community, from doctors. They can learn about brands. They can learn about products. They can find where where to actually buy um, buy their cannabis. So we consider it as sort of like a full ecosystem. I read a an article yesterday that the number of dispensaries in Colorado outnumbers the number of Starbucks three to one. And it makes me wonder, will your business become obsolete if this is a, on every street corner? Will the recreational movement make your business obsolete? Or will it increase the need for it? Or will it increase the need for it? Um, that's an interesting question. And ArcView just released that uh, there was $53 billion worth of cannabis that was sold last year in the United States. Illegally. Illegally and legally. Illegally and legally. Wow. Um, and that is, it was something double the amount that Starbucks, or triple the amount, I can't even remember what it was, just to, to, mm-hmm. to talk to your Starbucks reference. I think that, again, this goes back to this cannabis being on a spectrum of wellness, and it depends on where you fall within that spectrum and what has brought you to cannabis to begin with, right? If you're coming because you are compromised, your health is compromised, and it's not something that you have tried before or wanted to try, you are seeking quality information. And it doesn't matter how many dispensaries are out there or how many how many people you know, you, you're probably going to ask your friends, but you're also going to look online and you're going to find LOMD. So I think that you're always going to have people that need to be educated. Um, but, you know, there is a there is a question in my mind of with the 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 industry being split in this sort of very binary way, you're recreational or you're medical. Well, that's not really the way it works. It just isn't. People who start out on the recreational side, oh, I just want to relax and get a little bit high on Saturday night. Well, they might find, wow, I don't have insomnia anymore. So they, they tend to move towards the middle. And people on the other side who might have a chronic condition that might help them, and then they start to say, oh, you know what, I, this helps relax me, too. So, <laughs> so. so you were a pioneer coming back It's all secretly bit. funded by the brownie industry, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Twinkies. Um, you, were, you were a really early pioneer in 3D animation, virtual reality, user experience, all the way back in the early 1990s. Oh, God. And I'm really wondering... <laughs> You know, all that tech work you did, right? And, mm-hmm. and some of that, what was then very out there and now is, you know, becoming more common yeah. stuff. How has that experience found its way into what you do now? How, how do you sort of translate that technology and especially that more avant-garde technology of the times into into the company you've created here? Um so I, I think I can I think I think I can answer to that. I, I see that that I'm um tend to be attracted to sort of new shiny things. <laughs> and there is a lot of there is, there is a lot of um, similarities between a lot of the things that I've done in technology in the past and the experiences I've had and the cannabis industry. Um, I think that there's this sense of you don't know where this is going to go next, but you know it's going to be really, really big. Um, there's a, a sense that I have, like when I, I was at Netscape at the very, very early days, and nobody knew what the internet was going to do, but you knew it was going to be huge. And, you know, so I think that there's a lot of similarities. It's and funny, so- I remember that because I was at Regis McKenna then, which was <laughs> one of the first firms to do public relations and yeah. marketing for tech companies. And Netscape was our new client. And I remember everybody thinking, What's this little Netscape nothing yeah. company that we have, you know? So I was going to ask you a different question about, about us that Netscape reminded me of. So um, uh, I was going to ask in terms of, you know, we were thinking of Netscape and Andreessen mm-hmm. and, and ask you sort of the reception you've gotten from sort of traditional um, 
quote, uh, Silicon Valley investors in that. Um, if you look at um, uh, Andreessen Horowitz, for example, mm. they're all into nootropics, for example. Uh, I mean, yeah. they're sort of, they have their, they have a big, they're very interested in wellness and in sort of non-traditional right. approaches to, um, to wellness. I mean, they, I mean they, they, they've invested yeah. pretty heavily in, in that area. Well, I think that's a really interesting question that you're asking, um, and also the the sort of tied to nootropics because I'm seeing that as well. Um, but I we also see it at Helen MD. We talk a lot about how cannabis is going to generally sort of be a, absorbed into that sort of nutraceutical type industry, and it's going to become it's going to be seen more like that in the future. But in terms of VC's reaction to us, it really depends on the VC, and we started about two years ago in this business. And I remember one of the first uh, VCs we talked to, a very well-known guy, he said, there's no effing way we'll go near that. That's just like porn and gambling. Um, and, and that's not an uncommon view towards this industry. <laughs> that makes it more appealing or less appealing? <laughs> you know, but on the other hand, like in Canada, for example, my understanding is right just off of, um, like there, like there's all this sort of um, very industrialized growth of, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah. of cannabis, all funded by like very sober hedge fund people. Yeah. And, right? and, and that, that no is, the, the, tide, the, the tide is changing and we are actually seeing that there's a lot more interest um, in terms of the, the, the finance world into what we're doing and especially because because with a company like ours, we don't actually touch the product, um, so that that can be your advisors. In a way, no. yes, and and then there's also I think a lot of people are jumping in the game, but they do it secretly. It's not always mm-hmm. something that they're out front with. Or the folks have started venture funds focused on, and Peter and Thiel have. started a venture fund in this area, and a number of others. Yeah, Peter have started Peter funds. Thiel's it's, Peter Thiel was definitely at the the beginning um, with Privateer and and you know the seventy five million that he put in, and they fund their own little businesses that are sort of self enclosed, and there are some other um, well funded ventures, but they tend to be less the norm. I was wondering how, like, is the, you know, you're saying, well, you know, there's a lot of r- correlation or, or overlap between what you're describing and, and, and uh, between cannabis and nutraceuticals. And is that a, is that sort of a good or bad ev- evolution? Because I've, you know, sort of coming at it from sort of the biomedical perspective, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, I've been incredibly, like when I, like, I didn't think the highlight of for like A16Z was like their nootropics. I, right. I thought it was totally jumping the shark. And I remember, you know, when yeah. I was giving VJ a heart, he said, was my investment? Um, <laughs> sort of like a hard time because they <laughs> yeah. were sort of like, really? This is like how you guys do healthcare? And they're like, no, no, it was a previous mm-hmm. fund. Um, but it's, you know, it's just different than um, sort of a more like traditional biomedical or, you know, here's yeah. a drug, here's what you do. Um, on the other hand, you know, if you, it, it's a huge business. Although, yeah. you know, I don't know if you guys remember that TV show, Weeds. I don't know if anybody who's, yeah. li- who's listening has seen that. But in the last episode of that show, when they kind of go out, you yeah. know, it's transitioned to be part of the pharmaceutical world. I've seen the future. The future is in legalized pot. You think the Chinese, the Vietnamese gangs are tough? Corporations are the biggest thugs you've ever seen. I'm offering you an in. You let us grow here. I make you a shareholder, ground floor. Forget Guillermo Garcia Gomez, criminal. Now it's Guillermo Garcia Gomez, board member. So in the end, what do you think? Does it become a consumer product or a pharmaceutical product? I Is think Pfizer the one that's going to be packaging this later? I think that you're going to see a path that diverges. Um, you're going to see in a yellow wood. Yes, <laughs> in a yellow wood. Yes, exactly. You're going to see you're going to see a lot of synthetic cannabinoids in the the isolation of cannabinoids, which is you know like the CBD, the THC, the CBN. All of the um, the different aspects are going to be isolated and 
put into pills, and pharmaceutical companies are going to hope that we become uh, pill popping consumer. Um, you know, the next generation. But it's not pill popping if you smoke it, right? Uh, no, but the difference is that if you have a whole the whole plant, it's different than synthetically mimicking a cannabinoid and isolating that. That and that's sort of a larger conversation of um, is that the right path to go down? Yes, it may help some people. But so that's one way. The other way is that, you know, this industry that we're in continues to evolve and develop and they continue to evolve and develop products out of the whole plant. And then you have the other end, which is sort of this, how do we start to meld the cannabis into this more nutraceutical, blend it with all these other synergistic herbs or whatever it is that you're doing. And I think that there are going to be many different paths that the plant travels down, um, assuming that the federal government continues to allow it to be so. Let's talk about that. I mean, we have a new administration. I was wondering about um, that. And, um, <laughs> really? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's what I hear anyway. I've stopped watching the news six months ago. And I'm. do you feel like your business is going to be negatively impacted by the current administration's different view than the prior administration? Or, or is it, again, a, a catalyst for, for the need for better information? I think that... You know, there's always a need for better information within this industry because it's such a at the beginning. So whether or not this administration was in or Hillary Clinton, that was this is that's still going to be the natural progression. Um, will this administration negatively impact this industry is the million dollar question, the billion dollar, dollar, the right. billion dollar question. And, um, you know, there are there are many different um, thoughts on how that could go. And I was reading an article on The Hill today that came out this week of many different ways it could go. Um, you know, one way the government could come in with Jeff Sessions and as attorney general, assuming that he's approved, um, and they could just say, you know, what, we're going to shut it down. Game over. Uh, but then you have hundreds of thousands of jobs people are out of jobs and they want jobs um, and billions of dollars that will be lost. So I, I don't think that that's the likely course. Um, you know, then they could try to shape the market. So they could try to, to say, well, we don't want recreational and we only want products of a certain kind. The other way they could just be like with the Obama administration and have a status quo. Let the states decide. Let the states decide and take a you know hands-off approach, allow the Cole Memo to stay. And the Cole Memo basically says it's a policy. It's not a law. But it says, you know what? If you're following the, your state's laws within your state, we're not going to come in and use any federal dollars to prosecute or go after you. That's a great policy for this um, for this industry. Uh, it's interesting. And you figure that would be consistent with a lot of what, you know, the sort of the libertarian, you know, Peter Thiel stuff, right? Uh, yes. I mean, that would be the status quo, given what's happened with this administration coming into office, would probably be one of the, the best things that could happen because it just allows the 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 playing field to just sort of level off and to just grow steadily and to continue to to work on what needs to be worked on, like what we were talking about before with regulations and just making products safer. Um, I fear that if there's a big shakeup, you know, they're going to come in and, as I like to say, try to cut down tall poppies, um, <laughs> right, which is what they've done in the past. Is it true that the um, – and the, really to source this uh, from the, the most sophisticated place, Family Guy, that um, – <laughs> <laughs> All of the uh, that that the initial resistance, you know, a lot of the the negativity around cannabis basically came from um, William Randolph Hearst and uh, hemp uh, in, um, in in manufacturing newspaper uh, newspapers. 
Uh, well, it started in the 30s, and they, they basically um, wanted to suppress uh, yes, he did have a part of that, but there was this whole idea around reefer madness. And they they actually, cannabis was always called cannabis and it was called hemp. Um, they termed it marijuana to sort of make it sound uh, Mexican and that it was coming in through, through through immigrants. Um, yeah, so so it happened because they they wanted to blame the um, the the cannabis industry for for certain things so that they could allow different industry to thrive. I mean, that's a very very uh, convoluted way to saying of saying it, but it's been it was a prohibition thing that happened in the 30s and it stuck. The government ran with it, made it illegal, and then at a certain point they they classified it as Schedule One, which means it has no medicinal value. Um, and that's when the, the real crackdown started to happen in the Reagan era. So now you just did a stu- study recently yeah. with UC Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So we, um, one of the things, we try to, um, when we're going out into the market, hit it from many different angles. We work on a policy level because uh, policy, like talking about the administration, things can go, may not go in your way. So we try to work on a policy level. We also try to, wherever possible, work with researchers to help push the ball forward and help with our patient population because we have one of the largest patient databases in the country. 50,000. Yeah. Right? So I, I think we have the largest database of patients in the in the country. And so... Um, we just did a study with Berkeley on chronic pain, and so we allowed um, them to to work with us to put a survey together and to survey our patients, and the results are coming out in the next couple of weeks. Oh, okay. We'll look yeah. forward to that. Yeah. So let me ask you, this is this is a question you and I have gone on around about, but I bet our listeners would be interested. You have three little kids. I do. How do you talk to them about this, or, or do you? And, and what do you tell your friends? And what, are the, what do your kids tell their friends? I mean, what is the manner in which you handle this in your social life? What does mommy do? <laughs> what does mommy do? <laughs> um, it's interesting because when we first went into this business, I had a lot of stress around that, um, the, the whole notion of going out to the community and saying, I work within the cannabis industry and I help connect people with it's not a status symbol in california yeah (laughs) i don't know when you work when when you live in a suburban neighborhood you know you never know um and i quickly got over that once i started to um be in touch with the patients that where we were affecting lives positively and we realized you know this helps people get off of opioids it helped me get off of narcotics so for me i'm personally passionate about what i'm doing because i really see the beneficial effects that it has for people so when i wake up in the morning i think about that not about um being worried that people think i'm a drug dealer you know or people saying oh you're like that chick from weeds which i do get and i and i do get the jeff spicoli thing a lot but um, but in terms of my kids, I realized I had to address it at a certain point when Mark and I were, you know, we talk about, Mark is my husband, and we talk about business at home. And she starts stomping her feet, my 10-year-old, and she said, all you people talk about is marijuana, marijuana, marijuana. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, we have to have a conversation about this. And it was true because it's very it's a very we talk about it at home. Um, so we sat the kids down, and we basically said, this is a medicine. Some people use it uh, not as a medicine, but we believe that it's very effective for helping um, millions of people, and that's what our business is about. You're going to find that some people don't believe that. You're going to find some people think that what we do um, doesn't have legitimacy, and that's okay. But 
you shouldn't go and talk to everybody about, you know, marijuana, marijuana, marijuana. And it's not like when we come home, we're lighting up joints and there's marijuana everywhere. That's not our life and that's not our lifestyle. Um, so we've been very open with our kids. Um, and so, yeah, I think you kind of have to be at a yeah. certain point. Well, it's kind of hard to hide behind. Well, uh, but I, I bet a lot. I, I can imagine so many of the parents of classmates, even the people who are in a public situation might come off as judgment. Even the people who are in a public situation might come off as judgmental. Yeah. I bet like I, I bet there are so many people who connect with you one on one and said, you know, quick question for well, you. Well, that's an interesting point. And I think that was another thing that helped me. Um, get over feeling like, oh, are we going to be ostracized? Because what I noticed is that people pull me under a tree at a picnic, like, I've got a problem. You know, can you yeah. tell me what to do? Or yeah. my mom has this problem. Or how, how do Asking we deal with this? Asking for a friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so when you realize this, people, people are seeing this as a, a potential for good in their own lives. So, so when do you think uh, cannabis is accepted as, or medical marijuana or whatever we want to call it, is accepted as, quote unquote, real health care? What's it going to take for that to happen? For real health care. Well, well, I might put that back on you. And what is real health care? Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, what is that really? Yeah, no, because, it's, it's a because, great question because there's so many stuff, so much stuff that's legitimate, quote unquote, that doesn't do anything good. Yeah. So, you know, look at let's look at pain management, right? Do you think that most people that, that have pain management or, or use these drugs are, are increasing their quality of life? They get rid of their pain, Absolutely but not. side effects and all of these horrible things. So I think real health care is a matter of perception. To me, is it real health care to me? On a personal level, it is because I don't suffer pain anymore. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm never high. Because it's, yeah, I mean, they're just, uh, the, the state of California, the Health and Human Services Department is, you know, just identified that we have literally crisis level or opioid addiction in Marin County. Yeah, it's, um, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's quite amazing. It's epidemic proportions across the country. Um, you know, what's interesting about uh, medical cannabis, when you do talk to doctors, the doctors that are most accepting are pain management doctors and anesthesiologists because they see these people day in and day out and they know what's happening. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of patients where, you know, they have transitioned off of opioids to using cannabis for their pain. Um, is that appropriate? I, that's a, it's, only, it's a personal question they have to answer. But when you're talking about uh, a drug that not only kills you, and marijuana has never killed anyone, um, and where all I think it's 44 people a day are dying. Yeah, it's really astonishing. It's, it's crazy. Well, Pamela, it's really interesting to talk about this bit of a taboo subject, but we decided to go there, <laughs> and uh, As nobody always. really could, could address it better than you. So thank you so much for so coming in today. Yeah, yeah, thank really you, appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me. Today's guest, Pamela Hadfield, was joining us today from Tectonic Studio B in Mill Valley, California. That was such an interesting... I really learned so much, as you would have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's quite an interesting topic. So controversial, but so becoming mainstream in a way that I think, you know, it's important to, to recognize it's ultimately going to play a role in the healthcare system. Yeah, I agree with that. But then there was a part of it where she was like, where we were talking about, well, we don't want it to become, you know, medicalized, like to become a pill popper. And instead, better to sort of have the whole plant and to have the whole thing. And like, it, it was sort of coming a little soft in that, at that point. I, became, I, uh, I don't that know. I didn't sketchy. hear it the same way, but I, I, one way or the other, there's going to be a role for at least the CBD products, I think, that don't have the psychoactive effects. It's quite an interesting topic to me. Well, I'm really glad that we uh, discussed today on the show. You can join us next week for a somewhat different topic when we'll be joined by uh, Deb Kilpatrick of Evidation Health.
And you can follow David Shaywitz in his writing at Forbes. And you can follow Lisa Soonin at VentureValkyrie.com as well as on the Timmerman Report. And also, please remember to review us or rate us on uh, iTunes. It really makes a difference. We're grateful to AARP for sponsoring this episode of Tectonics. AARP's market innovation team works to spark innovation in the market that will benefit the quality of life for people over 50. This episode of Tectonics is produced by Connected Social Media and, as we noted, is recorded in Tectonics Studio B in the always scenic, very chill Mill Valley, California. <laughs>